Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Allow us to bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you are doing in and out of our lives, Lord. I pray that we can continue to encourage one another, that we can spur one another on for the sake of the gospel, Lord. I pray that you use us to reveal your truth to others, the full revelation of salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we continue in our series, Testing Our Assurance, and that's one thing that we have got to keep in mind, is that when we look at the book of 1 John, it is all about the assurance of your salvation. Once you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, no one, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Those are Jesus' words himself. We cannot lose our salvation. So everything that we look at in the book of 1 John, we look at it from the perspective of being reassured of our eternal hope. These are just a few trademarks of some popular restaurants. Some of these restaurants that you're looking at are maybe some of your favorites. Maybe they're not your favorite. But a trademark is a trademark. Even here at Villa's Grace, we have a trademark. We have the VG logo, and you see the VG logo on numerous things. But I want to look at one particular trademark that's on your screen right now. I want to look at those golden arches. You guys know the golden arches, correct? See, if you're on a road trip driving down the road and you see the golden arches, you think to yourself, hamburgers, french fries, and Coca-Cola, don't you? The party that you're traveling with, they don't have to remind you that the golden arches represent hamburger, french fries, and Coca-Cola, do they? You know what McDonald's serves. When you're driving down the road and you see those golden arches, it screams to you, fast food. Now, hamburger, french fries, and Coca-Cola are maybe just a small portion of the McDonald's menu, but you understand what to expect if you walk through those doors. You're saying, I see the golden arches, therefore, at the end of those arches is a Big Mac waiting for me, not a Burger King Whopper. Church, trademarks speak volumes. It's why corporations use trademarks. And as Christians, we would be fooling ourselves to think that we don't have a trademark ourselves. As believers in Jesus Christ, we represent a trademark. What is that trademark? It's the trademark of loving others. When we love others, we represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like you look at the golden arches and see, I know what to expect. I know what they do. I know what they are about. Because you're not going to look at the golden arches and say, yeah, I think a real estate office is in there somewhere. Maybe that's a Barnes & Noble type store where I can buy books. No, you know exactly what to expect 
We should be the same way with our love of others. People should see our love and say, he's a believer. He has the Holy Spirit living in him. She has the Holy Spirit living in her. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, The Heart of Love. The Heart of Love. We're going to be in 1 John. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 21 this morning. Last week we deviated from 1 John as Pastor Jared taught us how we can come to know God for our Mother's Day Sunday. We learned that in order for us to come to know Him, we must be one to prepare our hearts for His truth. Or He must be the one to prepare our hearts for His truth. So we can't even come to know Him unless He has been the one to prepare our hearts And that's exactly where he puts his spirit when we come to that saving faith in him. But today we're going to see how John is encouraging us to love one another. We'll observe where true love actually comes from. We'll recognize that the trademark of a Christian is love. Today we're going to see what God actually sees when we actually love God. Others. So please follow along on the screens as I read from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, this is exactly what we see. We see that loving others like Christ does not require our perfection. Loving others like Christ does not require our perfection. So if this statement is true, we ask this question. How does God judge our love of others? If it's not based upon our perfection, then how does God judge us when we do actually love others? God judges us by this through our heart's motivation to love. God judges us as believers when we love others through our heart's motivation to love others. The individual that you are looking at here is one of eight men who actually received the Medal of Honor during the Iraq and Afghanistan War. This is William Kyle Carpenter. Now, I'd show you some before and after photos of Mr. Carpenter. This is an after photo. He actually looks pretty good in this photo compared to how he did look. In fact, if you can kind of look on the right side of his face, you can notice that maybe something's a little off. The camera angle actually does him justice here. See, this is what happened, and this is the reason why he received the Medal of Honor. Carpenter received the Medal of Honor because 
he fell on a grenade in order to save his fellow soldiers. He took a grenade. He was willing to sacrifice his life for those in which he loves. He lost most of his jaw. He lost his eye when he shielded his fellow soldiers from the blast of that grenade. His body was shattered. He had one completely collapsed lung. He was nearly given up for dead after that 2010 Afghanistan firefight. They didn't think he was going to survive. Then he spent two and a half years in a hospital as doctors worked to rebuild his body. But if you think he's bitter, if you think that he came out of all of that, not only falling on the grenade, but then spending two and a half years in rehab, do you think you would be bitter maybe? Maybe at some point in that you'd be like, Lord, why don't you just take my life? Why do I have to continue to go through this? He wasn't though. He didn't ask those questions. In fact, he said this. He's quoted as saying, I look back and I'm actually very appreciative. I had those two and a half years because those years put things in perspective more than a whole lifetime of things could if I wasn't there. Church, Carpenter was willing to lose his life for those in which he loved. We need to be willing to love each other to the same degree. After all, isn't that the example that Jesus showed us? Let's look at these three verses again. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's take a look at verse 16 again. As you look at verse 16, are you willing to fall on a grenade for somebody else? Are you willing to love somebody else to that degree to where you would lay down your life for them? Now, I understand some of you are thinking that that is rather extreme. But ask yourself this, was it too extreme for Jesus? The love of a Christian is to be giving. We need to be giving of our love. The love of a Christian is self-sacrificing. And these two action words are the measuring tape of our love. They are the scale in which we measure our love. So who rolls out that tape? Who is the one that balances the scale in which these, th these two things are judged? Jesus. He is our example. And when God looks at us, he looks at that motivation behind the reason why we are actually loving. So let's revisit 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 from two weeks ago. If you remember, I'm going to read these verses to you. John wrote this. He said, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do you recognize what's going on here? Do you see what's going on as we go through 1 John and he starts talking about love? John is comparing and contrasting. 
If we hate, we commit murder. If we love, we're showing life. But we can only do that because Jesus laid down his life for us. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we're sinful. And what he's comparing and contrasting here is satanic self-love compared to Christian-giving, self-sacrificing love. Do you notice anything unique about the beginning of verse 16? How does John start off? He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Church, we must never forget. We only know love because of what Jesus did for us. So, is Christian love limited to the big sacrifices only? Is it limited to only falling on a grenade for somebody else? And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that Mr. Carpenter fell on the grenade because of his love for Christ. I'm not making that assumption. He may have. But are we willing to go to that extreme? Are we willing to allow Jesus to be our model? But it can't be limited only to just the big sacrifices. It's the little things too. Verse 17 leads us to believe that genuine love is found in our motivation to help others. So let's look at verse 17 again. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now, does this mean that we give every panhandler a handout when we stop at a stoplight? No. That's not what this is saying. Not saying that that's a bad thing to do, but that's not what this is saying. In fact, go back to verse 16 and look at the last word. The last word in verse 16 is brothers, the brothers. We live out this love amongst each other. We live out this love amongst other Christians. We do this together here as a church family. Now, let's take a look at the end of verse 17. Tell me, who's this love anyway? Whose love is this anyway? It's God's love. This isn't even our love. This is God's love. Church, we love out of God's love living in us. So let's ask the question. As Christians, what are some of the ways in which we can love each other? Because I think that's a fair question to ask at this point. What are some ways that we can live out this love amongst each other? If we're being told to love the brother in Christ and the sister in Christ, how can we as a church do this together? How can we apply this love to our life? There's a few ways in which we can start thinking about living out this love. We can start by forgiving one another. We can find our own worth in God's love. That's another way we can live out love because we really can't love others unless we find our own worth in the love that God shows us. We can love others by consistently reading our Bibles, reading God's word daily consistently will help you love others. 
We can pray for each other. We can provide for people's physical needs. And then if we can't provide for their physical needs, we can at least try and attempt to get them help. We can rejoice with others when there's something to praise. We can mourn with others when they're grieving. These are all different ways in which we can love, and that list goes on and on. But verse 18 says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, there is a saying that coincides with this verse. There's a saying that says this, You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. This reminds me of a certain candidate who ran a political race back in 2016 who actually ended up becoming what he said that he wasn't while he ran. I'm not going to mention any names, not showing any political allegiance, but you remember there was a particular individual who ran for a particular office that used to say this about politicians. All talk, no action. That's exactly what John is telling us here. We cannot be all talk and no action. Church, God isn't concerned with what we say that we're going to do. That's not what he's concerned with. He's concerned with what we actually do do. So, do you want to live from God's love in you? Do you want to live from that love? Do you want to love others from that love? Or do you actually want to even love others anyway? And if you do want to do those two things, you know that loving others like Christ does not require perfection. Because anybody who takes an honest self-evaluation of themselves is going to say, I'm not always the best at loving others. I'm not always so loving. So if loving others like Christ does not require our perfection, we should start to understand that it required the perfection of Jesus, correct? But let's ask this question still. How does God judge our love of others because it has nothing to do with our perfection? He judges through our heart's motivation to love. Oh boy. Anybody know what this is? Anybody claustrophobic? I'm claustrophobic. Anybody been in one of these? Some people, if you're looking at this and you have no idea what it is, you'll find out maybe one day. Hopefully you don't. I'm claustrophobic. I don't do well in these. This is an MRI machine. It's actually called a magnetic resonance imaging machine. That tunnel is scary. It's not so bad. I've gone in feet first. That's not bad because your head hangs out. But when you got to go in head first, not a fun day. And it takes a while to get those images. And then the worst, the worst part of an MRI is when the radiologist tells you, or the, radio, the radiologist tech tells you, uh, yeah, that last image wasn't so good. We're going to have to redo that one. And it takes like 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get an image. See, the thing is with an MRI, you get an MRI because an MRI doesn't look at bone. It looks at organs and it looks at tissue. Your body starts behaving a certain way. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, I want to look inside and figure out why your body's behaving this way. So they order up an MRI so they can observe what's going on internally. 
Church, this is how God observes our heart, but even more so. We may be behaving in a particular manner. However, God is less concerned about our actions, and He is actually more concerned with our heart's motivation behind our behavior. And this has everything to do with how we love others as well. Let's look at these next three verses. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before him. Verse 19 is really a reflection on the previous two verses, verses 17 and 18. So if, if you see yourself forgiving others, if you see yourself finding your own worth in God's love for you, if you find yourself being consistent, reading the scriptures, if you find yourself praying for others, if you find yourself meeting the physical needs of others, or at least finding them help to someone who can meet their physical needs, if you find yourself rejoicing with others, if you find yourself mourning with others, know that we can, as believers, do exactly like it says right here in the text, reassure our heart before him. Now notice, we're not saying that you have to do these things perfectly. Not one of us in here is capable of doing anything that we just mentioned right there perfectly. It's not about being perfect. It's about what is your motivation to do these things? Is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us our motivation for loving others? Why do you think John writes this? Why is it of concern to John for us to do as he says here, reassure our hearts before him? Why is he writing this for us? Why is he telling us that we can reassure our hearts so we can test the assurance of our salvation. He's staying consistent to the theme of his book. Be confident in your future. Church, do not let Satan play on your insecurities. Some of you in here allow that to happen far too often, let's be honest. You're allowing Satan to play on your insecurities because you're insecure that you don't do it good enough. You're just not perfect enough. Well, you know what? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about our faith in him. God is concerned about what he sees internally. And what does he see? He sees our heart. He sees his spirit being the motivating factor for the reason why we love when we know that our heart's desire is to love, when we know that our heart is motivated by love, we can be confident before the Lord. This is precisely why John writes in verse 20. He says, For, who, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Similar to how an MRI can view detailed images of human tissue and organs, God knows the details of every human heart. Now, I get it. I understand. I'm right there with you. Some of you question that track record of loving others, don't you? 
I question my track record of loving others. However, when we question our track record, that's not of God. This mentality is of Satan. This is why God judges our heart. He judges our heart because of our motivation to love, not the actual action that we do. It's the motivation that leads to the action that he judges. Church, this is not about loving others perfectly. We cannot forget that. We can love imperfectly. In fact, we love imperfectly, don't we? We'd long for the day that we can love perfectly. We're not there yet. We have an example to follow. We can do our best each and every day to follow that example. But we can love imperfectly, but still have the correct motivation to love. And that's what God's concerned with. It may not always come out the best or appropriate every time, but it's about the motivation. Are we looking to his spirit that he placed in our heart to be the one that guides us to love others? Are we listening? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us and pushes us and encourages us, convicts us to be all about loving others? In your heart, you, you may know that you love imperfectly, and you may that know that you're not always good at forgiving others, or maybe you're slow to forgive, maybe you eventually get around to forgiving others. We're not always perfect, are we? Maybe we don't always find our self-worth in the love of God. Maybe we're not consistent with reading God's word in order to build us up so we know how to love better. Maybe we're not always good at praying for others. Some of us are guilty. I've been guilty at times. Somebody comes to you with a prayer request. You say, oh, I'll pray for you. And then you don't get around to praying for them. I've found that I'm bad with that. And the best way I can safeguard myself against something like that is to actually stop right then and there and just pray on the spot. I was talking to an individual on the phone recently. This person's in the room. I won't name any names, but I'm, I'm willing to give out initials. Her initials are CA. And she asked for some prayer requests, and I said, I'd pray for you. And then immediately I said, you know what? I say that now, then I'll start doing something, and I'll forget. I'm like, let's pray right now. Because I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm going to screw it up. And that's not very loving to say you're going to do something and not follow through and do it. I'm not perfect at meeting people's physical needs. Or finding someone that can actually do that for them. Help them where they're at. Not always good at rejoicing with others. Not always good with mourning with others. But fortunately for me, Fortunately for you, for us as the church, Jesus Christ did all that perfectly. And we can read his word, we can understand and get to know him and grow in him. To want to model our love after the way in which he showed us to love. And I think it's more about our ability to recognize that we do this imperfectly. See, the minute that we think that we do these things perfect, we're in trouble. So it's kind of like you don't want to think that you do love perfectly on your own and you also don't want to get caught up in the guilt of the past because Satan loves both ends of the spectrum we need to be right down the center and understand that Jesus did this for us perfectly and therefore we follow his example 
And when we follow his example, we reveal the Holy Spirit living in us. A heart that is truly condemned cannot have the Spirit. Church, we cannot forget that Satan is a sly old fox. Think about the theme of the book of 1 John. He's writing to reassure you of your salvation. Why? Because there's a lie out there started by Satan. He wants those who are saved to question whether or not they actually are. We can be confident. You should be confident in your salvation. Not because of anything that we've achieved through loving perfection. No, not even close. We're confident because of his love abiding in us. When his love abides in us, we are motivated to pursue a high moral character. We are motivated to do good deeds. What we're not motivated in is a way to do it perfectly on our own. Why not? Because Jesus has already achieved this for us. So as I call Mike up, I'm going to read our verse 20. Actually, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, loving others is important to us here at Villa's Grace, is it not? Can I get an amen on that? That's not good enough. I'm going to say that again. That is terrible. Loving others is important to us here at Villa's Grace. All right, that's better. Which is why we're all about building relationships that make followers of Jesus. We follow Jesus. He sets the tone. He sets the pace. We're following him. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to be confident in your relationship with God? I would say sure, we all do, correct? I'm confident in saying this. If we know that our motivation to love others is because of God's love living in us, then we can be encouraged even when we love others imperfectly because God sees the detailed image of His love abiding in our heart which therefore becomes our trademark as a Christian the trademark that others look at the trademark that they see and they recognize the good news of Jesus Christ church this is our trademark to the world and I'm okay with saying I live out my trademark imperfectly but let me show you the one who did it perfect that's what it's all about. This is how we share Christ with others. And that's what we want to be all about. We need to show others that loving others like Christ does not require perfection. That's what we need to be showing others. We asked a question to go along with that this morning. How does God judge our love of others? He judges our love of others through our hearts motivation to love. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the work that you continually do, you have done, and you will do in the future. I want to continue to pray for us as you open doors and prepare hearts for us to share your good news with others. 
I pray that we can be obedient and doing just that. Thank you for everything that you have done. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.